You're listening to the Cleveland Review of Books podcast. I'm Billy Lennon. Today, I'm talking with Juliet Gelfman Randazzo about her piece, Still Observing, on Christine Kwan's A Ribbon, The Most Perfect Blue. We talk about labor's intertwining with and relation to domestic life, femininity, and artistry. We also go 300 level undergrad class mode and do some close readings of poems. Juliet Gelfman Randazzo is an MFA candidate at Rutgers University Camden, where she has recently written about deer, hand models, and trees. She is the author of the chapbook, Duh, open brackets, bullshit lit, close brackets. And her work appears or is forthcoming in Barrel House Magazine, Passages North, The Nervous Breakdown, and Bedfellows Magazine, among others. She can be followed at tall.spy on Instagram and tall underscore underscore spy on Twitter, but she can never be caught. Hello, welcome to another episode of the Cleveland Review of Books podcast. I'm talking today with Juliet Gelfman Randazzo about her piece, Still Observing, on Christine Kwan's A Ribbon, The Most Perfect Blue. Juliet, how's it going? It's going well, yeah. I'm here in Philly. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Um, I know, I'm excited to talk about Christine's book. I so, love Christine and I love this book. Yeah, how did you come across her? Do you have a relationship? with her or you just yeah. stumble across it <laughs> do you have a relationship with her yeah or... um, we're friends <laughs> from the internet <laughs> okay um yeah christine and i i think we met in um these workshops that um a friend and um incredible poet sophia dalin runs um which i started taking when i lived in the bay area they were in person and then in COVID, she kept the workshops going, but remotely. And I think Sophie and Christine went to grad school together, I'm pretty sure. Um, and so we met in those classes. And I like can't remember exactly. It might not make sense time-wise, but I want to say that I heard some of these poems in like their earliest draft form because the way the workshops work is like, we get a prompt, we write something and we share it. It's not um, workshop based. So I don't know. I'll just say that I did. I'll say that I heard some of the earliest drafts. Yeah, I was going to It's like, hey, guys, just going to play some unreleased material. Like, right, exactly. no one's ever heard this before. Yeah, I like sort of knew these poems before they were cool. So, oh, wow. <laughs> cool. Um, uh, yeah. But then so, yeah, I guess Christine and I only met for the first time IRL at EWP last year and she had just published this book and was reading from it mm-hmm. uh, but I'm I feel sa- like I've been here for longer yeah and grad school Iowa right Definitely. grad school yeah, Iowa. Cool. um who would have thought poet <laughs> <laughs> from yeah, heard of Iowa it. yeah <laughs> we definitely at CRB like to cover books from like marginal slash like regional university presses I was surprised Mm -hmm. southeast Missouri University Press it's pretty pretty random (laughs) yeah I mean I don't know anything about 
this press, but I know that they have this cool, so she won their like first book prize. I think it's first book prize. It's called the Cowell's Poetry Prize. Um, and yeah, I don't know anything about that um, school in particular, but I mean, and we can like talk more about this, but I think this is like sort of an interesting thing about this book is that she's talking so much about the labor of poetry and sort of the ways that like being a poet does or does not constitute a job or labor um the way it's like respected or not respected as a job um and yeah I think like that is an interesting thing to think about when reading a book that of poetry that sort of you know is only out in the world because it won a book prize which is often the way that um books of poetry from you know less established poets come into the world even someone who you know has this prestigious education or whatever you want to call it um it's still really difficult to get a book of poetry out in the world and even if you do you're not necessarily making money off of it you know most of these book prizes you maybe get like I don't know, 10 author copies and like a hundred bucks or whatever. I don't know what the prize for this. Are there was. like Maybe... submission fees too in some cases? Oh yeah. No. Why would they ever give you back your submission fee? You're like paying $35 and they're like, yeah. And then we give you a hundred bucks. And it's like, well, could, could I also get the submission fee back? Mm-hmm. Um, but Our editor-in-chief, Zach Peckham, he does some work for uh, Cleveland State University Poetry Center. And he does a podcast on publishing with um hillary plum Mm -hmm. who's an awesome writer and poet um and i know that on one of their podcasts they like go really like go hard on the whole pay-to-play situation with these prizes um so yeah if you want further reading on that as well listener (laughs) anyway (laughs) yeah that's like a yeah we're linking linking to the other pod in the notes no um, yeah man it's super uh <laughs> intertextual or whatever yeah. <laughs> it's a hypertext um yeah. no but I think I think that's a tricky thing about poetry right because you ask you ask different people and they're like well poetry for me isn't about making money it's an art which I think like yeah of course like I'm not like writing I'm, I've never been like wow yeah I wanted I've always wanted to become a poet so that I could make money like that's not the objective but at the same time it is work and it requires a lot of work to write a book and it requires a lot of time and I don't know like we exist in, a, in capitalism and like you need to pay your rent and I think one of the really interesting things and I touched on this in the review is like Christine has this line in the book that's like to write poems I had to sit home doing nothing and like it's true like it takes a lot of so much of the time of writing is thinking which looks like doing nothing you know and because you're not just like generating like tons and tons of text like maybe it's different if you're like a journalist or something and you're like constantly like outputting content but you know, with creative writing and like, especially with poetry, which is so pared down and like the point of it is often to be like quite concise. And like, this is a slim book, you know, it's like, it's thin, but there's a lot of ideas in it. And that doesn't take less time, but it doesn't look 
to the outside world necessarily like you are, you know, doing something. And because there's not this output, then like, why should you be paid for it? You know, like, <laughs> I mm-hmm. feel like that's sort of the general idea. And it's complicated because, yeah, it's not about the making money, but it also to do it, you have to sometimes not be making money in other ways. Um, and then how do you live? Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I, I guess to talk about your review a little bit, or a lot. <laughs> God. Yeah, let's focus on my work, my output. <laughs> yeah, speaking of your labor, um, the products of... <laughs> Which I was paid for. Shout out Cleveland Review Books. Yeah, like um, a, a modest, but yeah. decent. I don't know what, what, it is, yeah, yeah. But I'm um, happy to um so yeah like this idea of writing as a form of work or and like women's labor even that you kind of like set that up as a main overarching thesis in the introduction to your piece and then a lot of the review um it's like a a spattering of like close readings of like individual poems um the first two you kind of go in depth on more than the other ones um affirmations and if you can come up with a name right now i'd really appreciate it for the for the next one but there there was another one the one where high soon is in the bathtub oh the blue f- the blue the- feast the blue feast yeah, yeah 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 that's the fun party um there's a bad party and then there's a fun party yeah <laughs> do you want to like kind of like get into those two a little bit yeah sure yeah so I guess um both of those poems uh are like take place in various ways at parties um some feel more real some feel more imagined and both of them sort of uh draw in real um poetic figures um real poets um and in so, so in the first one affirmations um that this one feels like a little bit more grounded in reality um and there's like this moment where the speaker is uh standing around at a party and it's just like not fun and it's like a large group of white people and the speaker sort of like relates to Claudia Rankin in this moment and like that moment Mm -hmm. in just us where she's at the dinner party and like everybody it's like a group of white people talking about race and she is like I'm not gonna say anything because like I like my by being silent I'm I'm making more of my point and um I think the way that Christine draws that moment in in this poem is very funny like this this poem is very funny um but that feels like that idea feels um baked into this street uh, into this poem like this is a speaker who is watching things happen around her and um like really hyper aware of her own presence in in the space and what she is doing by um sort of being like passively participating versus actively participating um and it is like a poem that is very much about looking at herself, viewing herself in the world and viewing, casting herself against other 
poets of various lineages like Emily Dickinson shows up in here too um she doesn't want to be like her um which is is cast as a funny moment she says I don't want to be like Emily Dickinson and wait for my sister-in-law to publish my treasure trove after I die my sister's-in-law are the athletic type um which is yeah I don't know that's a great line um the the blue feast by contrast is like this sort of imagined poetry party Oh, go. Can I ask, should I say a couple of things about not to like cut you off, but about affirmations no. just no. On, on one, one note. Yeah. The Claudia Rankin thing reminded me of like, uh, uh, in high school learning, like, like reading Huck Finn and like, there was like one African-American kid in my class and like, we always like looked at him like for any sort of like race question like is it okay for mark twain to say this and yeah i that's just like what that reminded me of and then i just wanted to ask like um you can comment on both these things but what are some reasonings in general do you think that she has for bringing up all these names and like positioning herself in relation to them yeah i mean i think I think um, a major theme of this book is the way that being a poet is becomes a performance and essentially has to become a performance um, in order to make it seem valid to the world, if that makes sense. Like to be because like, you know, we have these categories of jobs. It's like, are you a lawyer? Are you a doctor? And in some way you have to construct this identity of poet to make that uh comprehensive to the world and so I think like one there is you know validity in in identifying with these you know really well-known poets who have you know made lives and careers and whatever are known for being successful poets um but I also think that um she is like over and over thinking about like how how do I fit into what has come before what are my influences um and how do I how do I want to be a poet in the world and I was thinking a little bit about like Mm -hmm. what it why being a poet sometimes feels like more of a performance than other than being a different kind of writer like you know you rarely meet someone and they're like I don't know, maybe you do. They're like, yeah, I'm a fiction writer. Like, I feel like it's like not as much of a thing. And I think part of it is because when you're called on to read a lot more as a poet, like it's like a thing baked into the cloth of like poetry is performing work. Um, And so you have to like have a performance mode. You have to have like a vibe. You have to like sort of curate uh how you want to read your work which can be very different from how you how it looks on the page or whatever um even if you want to be even if you want to just write poems that are perhaps read by candlelight at midnight like it's impossible now (laughs) like it's all right just yeah I mean we can talk about poetry voice if you want to talk about poetry voice (laughs) um yeah no I mean it's a it's it's a complete performance mode and I think there is something that she's getting at that like there is this tradition especially of glamour for that like women have like traditionally been called on to codify and like maybe it's a way of like making 
like being a writer feel unthreatening to like a patriarchal structure it's like there's like this like beauty and glamour baked into it I feel like she gets at that a little bit in certain moments um but I also think that like that is not necessarily cast as a bad thing you know like being elegant and um feeling beautiful is part of this project of constructing language in a in a beautiful and delicate way that is still saying something real and so I think that like she is making this case that like something can be like language or languishing or looking wearing an elegant dress um can be like a valid way of being in the world and can be important and um you know shouldn't be dismissed um in this way I, I feel like I, I do want to get to the blue fees now, but I, I feel like you're kind of also hinting at when later in the piece you talk about this being intertwined with like survival, like going that far, um, the ways of living and, and such. But yeah, do you want to say what you're going to say about the blue fees before I cut you sure. off? Yeah. Um, yeah, we can go back to survival. Um, yeah, so the blue feast takes place at this like sort of imagined party. Um that like takes place at the speaker's house and like all these poets have just shown up in like various points of their lives. Um, like Louise Glick's in her twenties and she's easily the prettiest person at the party. Um, like there's a bunch, it's winter, a bunch of people are wearing their coats and like smoking inside and um, sort of the like big drama of this party is that um, Kim Hyesoon has locked herself in the bathroom and it's the only bathroom and there's all these like younger people at the party and they are freezing cold and they have to piss so badly and so the poem sort of like formally um, devolves into this um, cadence of quote terse statements um, where that like sort of mirrors uh, visually a bathroom line and they're like huddled in the hallway waiting and then it ends with a, with Kim Hyesoon having a bath um, and that's why it's being held up and it ends with we can all hear her splash and the pleasure um, the pleasure in those lines <laughs> <laughs> yeah there is there's so much pleasure and I think this party I love it. <clears throat> feels so yeah. fun like I'm like I don't want to be at this party Mina Loy's having an FFM threesome the speakers locked the door so that no one interrupts that from happening um but yeah one of the things I talked about in the piece is the way that the speaker is like again observing at this party the only action she really takes is um to lock the door um, so that Mina Loy can have her uh, threesome in peace. Um, but I like the way this, like, I don't know, I like, it almost feels like flash fiction in this way where it just continually is ratcheting up the thing. It's almost like yes, ending itself over and over again. And there's not, things don't need to be explained. Um, it's just like, okay, all these people have come in and now it's winter. And so now these people are wearing coats and now um, Kim Hyesoon's in the bathroom and 
she's seeing her mom in the mirror is trying to get her out and then all of a sudden we're in the bathroom line and it just keeps escalating and escalating and escalating until this like extreme moment of pleasure is hit um and yeah I feel like this is one of my favorite poems in the piece for that reason but also just because I see Kim Hyesoon I I see so much of Christine or I maybe I see so much of Kim Hyesoon and Christine's work um and I I mean she's like you know one of probably one like the most famous contemporary South Korean poet um and I definitely see her influence in this book in a lot of ways um she's like I mean I'm by no means a scholar of Kim Hyesoon I just like her work a lot and I guess like she's my understanding is she's commonly known as sort of undermining like conventional uh South Korean female poetry which I think is like more like passive or whatever and Kim Hyesoon's work is very subversive um but also like in similar ways to Christine's work engages with like ghosts and like these sort of like and like ancestral traditions like her mother or like I was trying to say or you, her body yeah go ahead you said she was trying to get her mother out of the mirror yeah yeah that's what she says in this which I think is like a nod to I'm not sure if there's a specific I mean I'm sure there's a specific Kim Hyesoon poem where she's like uh seeing her mother in the mirror but there are a bunch of Kim Hyesoon poems where she's like talking about her mother I'm trying to I had one pulled up there's this one poem Kim Hyesoon poem that's called inside 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 of a dream or that's the English translation and it starts it's like over and over like about her like it's like so many depth uh steps into her mother's dream her mother's mind but the first line of that poem is mommy who has just stepped out of the bath um and then it has this line that's like I am I before I was born um and there definitely seems in these poems to be that like engagement I mean the first poem in the book has like her talking to her father and um it's like jumping between this more like mythic setting and like this more grounded real setting and I think and there's other poems that are about like sort of her ancestors her family lore her mother like imagining herself cast against these various um ancestral figures and I definitely see that play between sort of the more like fable or mythic language in this work and then like hype being hyper grounded in the contemporary um and I think that's a thing that I'm really interested in when contemporary poetry um does like plays with um these associations with what came before but also feels like very like not only using elevated language like being very clear to be like I am in 2020 I guess this was written in 2022 or whatever like we are mm -hmm. here in 2022 um at the same time as I'm engaging with like formal traditions or language mm -hmm. um, of the past it, and I, I guess <clears throat> at, at the beginning of that you mentioned that like traditionally like Korean female poetry very like passive subjects then high soon like a little bit more subversive and then interestingly to bring it back to Kwan, um you were talking about her poem lazy boy um mm. where a guy could he 
or I cannot tell if he wanted to be more than a chair. And then you write the speaker of a ribbon of a ribbon often has agency and yet opts for immobility or passivity. There's like an engaged passivity that to bring it even further back is labor um, is like the task of the poet or whatever to do nothing actively. Um, just a connection that I, I saw. I don't know. Yeah, no, totally. Yeah. That poem lazy boy is like, yeah, about her father and like, or the speaker's father. Um, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to conflate speaker with Quan, although, you know, there are certain ways that the, um, you know, biographical details that we are given about the speaker seem to overlap. Um, but, you know, I'm sure there are poetry there are things that I want to want to spend seven hours like talking about that <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly I'm writing my dissertation on that just kidding I am not in school <laughs> um yeah but so that that poem is like repeats like over and over again father was a chair father was a chair then there's that line that's like I couldn't tell if he wanted to be more than a chair um but yeah I mean there's there are like so many moments of this book where the speaker is like sitting at home, like doing nothing or like staring in the mirror, or, like lounging in bed um, or like observing or thinking about other women, whether like real or um, like celebrities, often like somewhat tragic figures in certain ways. Um, Although people who have like obtained, I think that there's like another theme and I touched on this in the piece of like the way that writers and particularly often like women are only valued after their death um, are only like, so it's only sort of like in immortalization that there becomes value and like whatever, like, you know, we talk about like Sylvia Plath or, Plath or whatever. It's like, you know, it's not like, something that's like never been said before but I think that is like something that comes through in this and especially in thinking about the like constant masking the constant performance of like you know what does it take to have value in this lifetime versus after and like you know what what does it mean to be valued after you die if like you know in your lifetime if you know you it's just like certain everyone was like well why don't you just like get a real job like come on um yes i mean obviously should be treated and valued better in their lives in itself like as a principle but even from like a neoliberal calculating perspective it's like why should like this be valued more during people's lifetimes well like look at how much they're valued after they die (laughs) like um in that immortalization or whatever like, is that not, <laughs> yeah, anyways, that that's just what struck me, like. Yeah, um... yeah, she has a funny poem, too, where she, like, kind of turns it back on herself and is, like, yeah, like, there are so many poets who I, like, hate their work while they're living, and then when they die, I'm, like, gonna go buy their book and love it, um, <laughs> which I think it's, like, I don't know, there's a lot of, like, self-implication in this book, too, which I, like like it doesn't take itself too seriously the speaker's not trying to have all the right answers all the time like she's like you know I'm guilty of these things too um it's just like it's 
that's that's the way of being in the world is like I see these problems around me and then I become complicit in them and then I critique them and it's you know sort of an ongoing cycle um that feels very true to like lived reality today I guess for me Mm -hmm. there there is a point that I wanted to end on we're kind of running out of time yeah I'm not I'm not going to upgrade this (laughs) (laughs) wow Um, not worth the upgrade (laughs) just no I can't (laughs) I don't value our this time enough our time alive oh true yeah uh is there anything else you wanted to briefly touch on before I go to Um, my end point no no no. get to your get to your point okay cool um I mean it's not really a point it's 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 something that I really like in the piece and I think it's a good place to end or and just the way that the last poem in the the book the title poem ends with the word and one of my favorite bands of all time deer hunter um they end their album halcyon digest the song he would have laughed on like a non-final note like it's definitely the kind of note that you'd expect another note to come after and like end the song mm-hmm. but it just it sounds it sounds like it just ended in the middle of things um maybe there's a different reason for them doing that but it struck me that this was a similar formal choice on her part um what do you think the significance of that is in this context? yeah I mean I love the way this book ends it ends with now you see where I live in some spotless and um yeah I mean I think it invites the work to continue um in your mind as you're reading and it makes me think about like again it brings it back to the role of the poet in the world to like be this observer of like the sort of micro level of living um and uh a sort of expansive way of living um like and as a conjunction makes me think about like you know it's not either or it's like all of these things being constantly added and added and added and like again like what does it mean to spend a life through writing I think that's I'm paraphrasing a line that she has um you know it means to just constantly being constantly be watching what's going on around you and thinking about it and that's not something that ends that's not something that necessarily like fits into the work week schedule that's uh you know it sort of feels like an anti whatever maybe it's like a sort of anti-capitalistic way of thinking about life um which you know I think poetry should be to the extent that it can um and yeah I think it just makes the work feel like it's it's ongoing it's it keeps going after you close the page of the book <laughs> yeah I was gonna say yes ending but ending <laughs> ending yes. as world building like yeah and like the blue feast um mm-hmm. it's like oh another layer of reality added on nice yeah there's a um, lot of worlds in this book it is so populated um anyways yeah Juliet, thanks so much for oh my gosh thank you for having me time. This is so fun. yeah i think i think it went pretty well i think uh yeah <laughs> <laughs> i think yeah. so you did a good job no yeah you too you too um hit us up again to write yeah, I'd love to. I'm working yeah. on I'm working through some ideas. Cool. All right. All right. Have a great you weekend. You too. The weekend. Or no, the yeah. Friday. Have a great little Friday. Have a good little Friday. All right. Uh, yeah.
talk to you later. Bye. Bye. Thanks again for listening to the Cleveland Review of Books podcast. Producer and artist A-Live of Cleveland's own Moomin Collective graciously provided the music we use for the intro, as well as the music you're listening to right now. We publish reviews, essays, interviews, and excerpts online at clereviewofbooks.com about three times per week. We recommend signing up for our bi-weekly newsletter, a link to which can be found in the show notes, as we all adjust to a shifting social media environment. You can also purchase issues and merch, including hats, tote bags, and shirts in our online store. I'd also like to shout out all of our amazing editors, including Zach Peckham, Bree DeManda, Robert Giddings, Alana Pakros, Angelo Maniage, Morgan Ford, Michael Cardico, Helen Rauner, Jacob Brueggemann, Philip Harris, Allie Black, Isabel Blakeway-Phillips, Eli Scope, and R.A. Washington. See you next time.